1: Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit livenation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.
2: Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh?
0: A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes!
2: Wait! Did we just invent
3: California?
4: Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.
3: From iHeart Podcasts, I am Fab Five Freddy, and this is 50 Years of Hip-Hop Podcast Series. The most cutting-edge rap label, without question, Def Jam Recordings, is worldwide. Founded back in 1984 by Russell Simmons and Rick Rubin, Def Jam has given us major acts, sure enough, 100% superstars like LL Cool J, Beastie Boys, Slick Rick, Public Enemy, Rihanna, Kanye West, and many more. This is Def Jam Recordings, hip hop's most iconic label. Shanti Das, music industry executive.
5: I mean, they're innovators of hip hop. You know, hip hop wouldn't be where it is today if Russell Simmons, you know, hadn't have had the, the foresight to do what he did. When you think about labels and genres of music, like to me, Def Jam is to hip hop. It's what Motown was to R&B music, right? For black Americans. And so being able to break artists very early on, like I run DMC and and I think what a large part of what Def Jam did, not only just coming with great artists, Def Jam knew how to market the artist from a hip hop perspective. And I think Russell Simmons and Def Jam were responsible for making hip hop a global phenomenon. Because if you remember when Run DMC, you know, were at the height of their career, they did that deal with Adidas. We had never seen anything like that. Or they did these mashups with rock artists. Like, you never saw hip hop infused with another genre. And so that was like groundbreaking for the genre, and so they put hip-hop on a global stage. That's what Russell Simmons did, and you know, he was one of the best to ever do it.
3: Russell Simmons, record executive and entrepreneur. Oh, Rick Rubin. He said it was earlier
2: at Graffiti Rock, but I wouldn't know if some kid comes up to me, some white kid saying, oh, I love rap. But then I, the way I remember uh, meeting Rick Rubin was, I heard the record, it's yours the universe bitch. It's yours, yours, yours what's that and i daddy jay said i know and daddy jay brought it and i was like this made it's yours white and it was him it was rick Rubin, and played me all the you know for me i was really a b-boy back then like the records i really cared about and everything else was kind of like that was commercial like that was commercial Duck so mc was 100 from the heart and it spoke to a hole in the market. No one made records like that. sound anything like that? And then Rick had a drum machine full of beats. I mean, Beat was a hit in my mind. And then I started to manage him and the Beastie Boys. And then we found LL Cool J at King Adrock. Found LL Cool J's tape. And then that was it. You know, that was the beginning of he was going to uh, start a, He was starting a label. He had the, the logo Def Jam. But he wanted to start an independent label. And he wanted me to be his partner. I was going to already make a deal for Rush Records because we had so many artists. and We were such a big management company in hip-hop. We were trolling, you might even say, the culture. But the beats he made and the stuff he was doing was fascinating, so I said, I just share with him. And I'll still manage, and I'll just put money in his life. We put in $2,500 a piece, I think. We put out, I need a beat by L.L. Cool J. And Ad Rock found him. It was a version of I Need a Beat, but Rick reproduced it. And, well, Darren was the first Def Jam record, Independent. Well, I didn't have any talent. You know, I produced records. That was artistry. That was about all. I rapped on some records for the fun of it. A couple. One with L.L. Cool J and one with Jazzy J. But no, I never had... I still can't dance on beat. I ain't never been no... Rhythm. You know what I mean? But I could. I really made good records uh, People don't know that I was produced I like to sometimes slip that in I made that record I wrote that but I like to say that sometimes But people uh, You know, like Run the MC We made two albums Before we met Rick Rubin, you know and Larry Smith and I Made those records And we made them unique You know There's some records we made With Suck MC Where's the music? And, and ten people Begging me We're gonna play the bassline. They ain't gonna be no bass That in itself The simplicity Of that Suck MC record Was unique Taking the record and scratching on top of a record in a recording studio was never done. We made Jam Master J. It was new. You know, kick off this shit. You may know that record. Off,
6: shoot, jump on the job! Now listen to the Jam Master as it starts to rock.
2: And yeah, and I would say that I produced a bunch of records and I started producing records like Allison Williams. She had a couple hits, especially in, in Europe. But it was me producing records. I I produced a Blue Magic album. This is perfect. And Rick produced the Headless Horseman and a bunch of his hit was Slayer. And my hit was Juice Jones and Alston. And I, so I spent a lot of time doing my childhood and he spent a lot of time doing his childhood. And then who was running the ship? So I brought in the LA posse to make LL's second album. And they did a good job. Very different from what Rick would have made. Right. But it was all LL. The inspiration came from LL. So when a record like I Need Love played, you know, it was not something Rick would have made, and he kind of, you know, it showed, you know, we're becoming a company now to manage the process more than to make it. And Rick, although he was always going to be one of the greatest producers of all time, he was off making heavy metal. So we separated at that time. And that's when we started to really, I think Def Jam started to really excel, because that's when we started to become
3: a machine. Music producer Rick Rubin and music manager and producer Russell Simmons co-founded Def Jam Records, only to become creators of hip-hop's most prominent record label. Russell Simmons, a young black kid from Queens, New York, would be a part of designing the blueprint to commercial success in rap music. LL Cool J, actor, rapper, entrepreneur, considered one of the best to ever do
6: it. It's funny, you know, when it first started, you know, first of all, I I went up to Rick's dorm. You know what I'm saying? Went up in the dorm. Ad-Rock had played, you know, or the Beastie Boys had played my demo tape for Rick Rubin. Ad-Rock actually programmed the beat on my first song, I Need a Beat. Rick Rubin produced it, like, spectacularly. Did a great job. Ad kind of programmed. He did the programming. the J did the cut. And b- But before that, we did a song called Catch This Break. We went over to Russell's office. And it's so funny. He had an office, like, one secretary of him, and he's in there. And we played the demo for him. He's like, ah, it's the same old... T- sound like the treacherous three sound like ah same old thing so me and rick looked at each other it was like oh yeah so we were back in the studio and made i need a beat when he heard i need a beat he was like okay yeah they they decided to make their own record because they were labeled because rick was having problems getting money from party time streetwide. because remember he just had a production deal with them. he didn't have a label so we did that and uh, the rest was history ashana Ayers, music executive and founder of the Ayers agency
4: Russell Simmons is what we call the godfather of hip hop, ambitious, brilliant man from Queens, where I'm from. Queens get the money uh, from Queens, who started a record label with his friend in their college dorm room. They um, laid the foundation for what the business of music uh, or hip hop music looks like for generations and generations and generations. They were visionaries and understood the value of hip hop and built a business that millions and billions and billions of people are benefiting from today.
3: Shaheen Reed, music journalist.
7: Wow, when you think about Def you you gotta say that to me that's that's the most storied label out there, right? I mean, you, you definitely got other labels. But to me, Russell Simmons and, and, and Riff Woolman, they they, they they wrote the blueprint for everything that's going on as far as having your label, as far as having superstar artists, as far as putting the power into the artist's hands, as far as putting the the power into your hands as, as an executive. These are guys that started one of the most powerful entities and most one of the most influential entities and in all of not just hip hop. But black culture, period. Um, When you look at everything that that spawned off from Def Jam, Def Comedy Jam, clothing line, and you know just everything, and these are guys who um, they were selling records out of Rick Rubin's dorm room. and Rick Rubin went on to be uh, a super successful and impactful producer. Russell is is one of our great success stories as black people. When you look at this is, a,
3: this is a kid from Queens Fat Joe Recording artist Bronx hip hop legend And author Man you wouldn't have a job If it wasn't for Russell Simmons
8: Cause he took hip hop To the next level Of where you could actually Make a living and pay your bills And so before that We had The underground rappers The Grandmaster The Kaz's The diss that He made it mainstream He wasn't closed minded He had Run DMC work with Walk This Way. You know, they signed the Beastie Boys. They they, they invented Def Jam Records to where that is the prototype for all record labels and boutiques. Like, you know, like a Terror Squad, like a Rockefeller, like a uh, Rough Riders, So So Def, or this. You know, um, he showed us how to be entrepreneurs. He showed us how to get to the back. He taught us how to dream big and be visionary and be creatives to imagine that we can be bigger than we ever be in our life. And so I personally have never made $1 with Russell Simmons. I have never done business with him. But to this day, I attribute my success to Russell Simmons
3: because he showed us a way. Curtis Blow, legendary rapper and hip hop's first rap superstar. Oh, Def Jam became the label that
9: Russell and I dreamed about when we were in college. During that time, I, I, I related to a movie, the Star Wars, the Jedi Knights. See, that was the name of the basketball team at City College, the Jedi Knights. And so we all became Jedi Knights. And we went to those movies. And I was Curtis Skywalker. We had an Obi-Wan Kenobi. His name was Bob Malone, Russell. Funny story. We call Russell (laughs) C3PO. Because he was always talking. He was a talker. He was the Blarney Stone. Russell was a great communicator. And so during those times when we figured it out. And Star Wars. You know, that part of they talk about the planet Alderaan. That's where the, the home base of the Jedi Knights. And so, our dream of success was going to Alderaan. We're trying to get to Alderaan. So, that was our, our mission. You know, success was Alderaan for us. And Russell did it. We all owe him gratitude and a big thanks and give him his flowers because he did it he made it happen along with Lior Cohen and also Rick Rubin they took this idea, this dream this wish and it made it a reality I remember Russell going over to the Grammys and protesting the Grammys with picnic signs and all that trying to say we need a, a, a rap category you know we need a, a a rap awards, you know, and stuff like fighting when it was unheard of. And they put this man out, you know, now you see him front row. He's sitting at the Grammys, right? And the Oscars and all that. So, man, you made it. Russell, you did it. My hat goes off to you.
3: wrong baby. Ashana is.
4: I think LL from the perspective of, you know, Def Jam and hip hop, I think he showed what the commercial viability of hip hop was. I think, you know, his, you know, the songs, the record sales, radio airplay, like all of those things, I think showed what commercial success looked like for hip hop. There were hip hop artists obviously before him, but I think he was the first to have like massive, global commercial success. And that was important because I think again, like that set the tone for what the future of hip hop looked like from a commercially viable standpoint, from a, you know, not just developing, you know, these successful, you know, rappers, but also building businesses and establishing careers and employees being able to feed their families. Like it wasn't just the success of LL, himself and what that looked like for the rap community or the rap genre. But it was also like it built a sustainable business that allowed, um, you know, again, allowed for a murder ink to um, exist, allowed for a death row to exist and all of the employees and people that came from those uh, companies to have thriving jobs and, and legacies for years and years and years to come.
6: LL Cool J. Rick was, had a very specific taste. And he also was able to translate the things that me or my friends would want him to do. So I'd be like, yo, Rick, I would hum a beat in his ear, and he would play the beat. I would tell him, yo, do it like this, and he would do it. So he was really expressing a lot of my stuff, my ideas. And then he would take my ideas, and he would make them better. He would enhance them as a producer and take them to another level. And that's how it was. It was crazy. It was amazing. Russell Simmons.
2: Hello, Cool Jay was... The most talented vocalists. I mean, Run used to always say, that's the guy, that's the best vocalist. And he was young, spoke to his next generation. And not not only, he was the first one that really, I think, that I worked with that really spoke to the recording generation. Run, remember, was a rapper before they were rap records. It was DJ Run from Curtis Flow, the disco song the Curtis Flow. So he all, they all came from the ballroom and the performing arts. LLFJ was a recording art. He heard records to make him make a record They heard tape to make them make Their performances and eventually Their records So LL Cool J for me was The first artist that I managed Who spoke 100% to the next Generation The first generation of Hip hop as a recording
6: artist LL Cool J I mean I made 10 platinum albums in a row but That's pretty good for it. It's coming for an independent label To have an artist come out and make 10 platinum albums in a row at that time, it wasn't gonna be no number ones back then. It was hip-hop. This was rap music. It was no pop radio play. It was no, you know, you get a little bit of airplay on the weekend. And I make 10 number one albums in a row. So that's a big, big important thing for the late from a label side. Now, in terms of hip-hop, showing people that you could be legitimately, and I say this with humility, but that you could really be a rap star. Like like I showed people how to be a rap star, B. There was no real rap stars before me. They were except for Run DMC as a group. And it was a little different because my thing struck a little different chord because I struck the teen heartthrob chord and the like the cultural rhyming chord. It was a little different, right? So I'm like, I'm on the cover with New Edition. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm, you know, I'm on magazines with New Edition. I'm on magazines with Michael Jackson. So you have to think about it like like you have to think about it like that. So and then what I did was I showed people that you can have emotional intelligence. I introduced like was guys who rapped the females on records before, you know, like introducing the love thing to the game. Like before I made I need love and before I started really embracing the females, even on my, my B sides, like I want you on the other side of the B side of dangerous dudes weren't comfortable with that and that was a a whole dimension of hip-hop that was not open the only one that would dabble in it a little bit more would be sponny g but he was still keeping it he wasn't he was never allowing himself to be vulnerable so so i really like opened up the world of you know love the idea of love being introduced to hip-hop like i did that
1: Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.
3: Ah, oh, man, so many memories. I was definitely deep in the mix at that time and seeing all this go down firsthand. So let me tell you my little story about meeting Rick Rubin for the first time. I was at the Roxy one night back in the early 80s and a record came on, which really made me freeze in my steps. It was The record was It's Yours, right? Tiga Rock. And I'm like, what is this record? Right? So I go up to the DJ and I say, yo man, like, what is this? Like what? A-? He says, yo, it's this new record. is yours. I said, who made this? And he pointed to this group. He said, this guy over here. And I saw several people over there and this, you know, several black folks and this white guy. And I was like, who, who? And he was like, this guy right here, straight up. It was the white guy. And I went over and I introduced myself. It was Rick Rubin. And Rick was really cool. And he was like, I told him who I was. You know, he knew who I was. And he invited me to his dorm room at NYU University, a small dorm room with his little small bed and a DJ turntable set up and a drum machine. And boom, I definitely saw the beginning of Def Jam Records. And it was brilliant the way Rick and Russell linked up with each other because Rick had a, you know, understood like you know, pop music and the formula of making a tight four minute record like a record because rappers at that time, some of the first rap records came out. People would rap it for 10 and 15 minutes. And Rick had a sense of how to shape this into something that was a much tighter, more condensed, explosive basically hit records that could that could work on radio and work everywhere else. It was pretty amazing to see the beginnings of that and where Rick and Russell took it to. Russell Simmons. Well, I don't know if it was
2: hip-hop, but, you know, I, I met people who inspired me, the Quincy Jones of the world. They tried to remind me that it was nothing new. The music was doing the same thing, evolving, reminding me of the jazz era, blues era. You know, okay, Here's black music doing it again and they gave me perspective and uh you know instead of being you know cocky and young they gave me another perspective which i was cocky and young but they gave me another perspective that how i fit in history Quincy jones took me the beastie boys LL Pool J, T La ross run dmc i'm trying to think if rick was there but he told us about Crystal champagne took us all out he wanted to know it was late. It was about 85. I remember playing uh, Turn on the Radio and Run the MC record played and Quincy's at my house to get ready to go to dinner. Played in the demo for Orange Juice Jones, Walking in the Rain, I had just produced. We went to dinner, but all Rush bands was a lot of art. Again, there were so many that were pioneers and, and had records on different labels. So you Remember, we managed Big Daddy Kane and Eric P and, and him, and we managed uh, The Dale of Soul and for a Quest, and we managed, and we Rush managed with all of that. Def Jam felt like all of that, too, because we were all family. We all wore Def Jam Jackets. It was a cultural movement. We were part of a family, the Slick Ricks and, you know, Big Daddy Kane, you know, they were the same. Right? Even though we couldn't, and I never felt, as a manager, I never felt any different between those who are my label and those who I just managed and that were my family. The Rush family was expansive. The Quincy Jones fed all of us and he inspired me so many ways because he gave me perspective. And that
3: helped me a little bit over the years, a lot, over the years. Grand Wizard Theodore, pioneering hip hop DJ, credited as the inventor of the scratching technique.
7: Not only is, is Russell and Rick Rubin one of the ultimate success stories, but you, you, you could just look at them for inspiration, man. Like, there's a lot of people that, that wanna do stuff and that could actually do it, but are scared to do it. And there's people that can actually do it. They're not scared to do it, but they're too stubborn or too proud to team up with somebody. These people formed a team. And when you look at the Def Jam Family Tree, they there was there was a record label. They, they was also a management team. You understand? Like they manage leaders of the new school with tribe called Quest. And from that, the fam and treat that they have is nothing but Hall of Famers like Def Jam. You, you can't really say enough. And when you look at the catalog that they have from LL Cool J, Slick Rick, Public Enemy, Rick Ross, Redman, Messed Man, the Rockefeller record label, Jay-Z and everything that he did after Reasonable Doubt, Kanye West, Ja Science Murder, Inc DMX with Rough Riders these guys not only did they make and, and again this is something that, that we keep talking about is that it's something special when, when you're making classic music but it's also extra extra special when you're making classic music and you're implementing a business infrastructure like they showed us not just how to get it as artists, but how to get it as businessmen and
3: businesswomen. Ashana is.
4: I think Def Jam, any any relation to Def Jam, be it an artist or an employee, it's a badge of honor. It's a club, a community, a college. It's almost like pledging. If you were a part of Def Jam then or now, it's, it's a badge of honor for the music business. It represents... A certain level of excellence. It represents a certain purity, a certain attachment to the culture, or or not even attachment, symbolism that you're a culture creator. Like you are um, driving the culture forward. Def Jam was the leader in driving the culture forward and being a part of it in any way. Be it you know as a musician, as an artist as an executive meant that you were a part of a team that was driving culture forward. to Das.
5: It was just their flavor. Like, for example, when I worked in New York, Def Jam had this Christmas party every year. Like, they always had their hand on the pulse of the culture. Everybody always wanted to go to the Def Jam parties and the Def Jam events because they know how to do it on a big scale. And I have to shout out uh, one of my former mentors, uh, Kevin Lyles, who used to be president of Def Jam Records. If Kevin hosted an event at a music conference, you knew all the like cool people were going to be there, like all the actors. He brought people in from other worlds like they mixed fashion and hip hop and art and you had all the cool people. And that was to me, that was really utilizing hip hop um, in a way that hadn't been done before. That's when we really knew that hip hop was currency. Right. Hip hop was big business. And so that's when you started seeing a lot of you know sneaker brands and um spirit brands and other people want to collaborate with these artists because def jam not only was good with the music but again they were good with the marketing and promotions and so that's something that we always look to and i was like how do they do it like they they mix the worlds together and they really they have to shape what culture looks like for us to this day because again the culture and the currency is music is fashion is sports it's entertainment but death jam was really at the forefront of that putting their artists in other rooms that people in the genre hadn't necessarily been exposed to before i think snoop dogg does a great job of it now and how he's expand- expanded his brand but early on i don't think anybody did it like death jam in terms of being able to to cross collaborate and bring those worlds together and so that was what was cool it was like going to a Def Jam event you just felt like wow this is the culture this is it this is where we all want to be athletes want to be artists artists want to be athletes it was nothing to like look up and see a NFL player or NBA star or seeing Def Jam artists participate in NBA All-Star Weekend like they really started a lot of that from a cultural perspective and I think that really also helped catapult the genre to a global status and put us in other worlds and in corporate America and making these big deals that we hadn't seen that before. So that was Russell, that was, you know, Rick, that was Kevin Lyles. all those folks, Rhonda Cowan, Tracy Waples, all those folks who worked over there, like they really had the blueprint down for like how to work records, but also how to market them and how to bring the culture together to have a good time and to make good money and to make good records.
3: Ed Lover, Rapper, actor radio personality and former mtv vj
11: oh my god it's that def jam is everything there was a time and if you wasn't on def jam you wasn't really on a label and even though running them was on profile it was almost like they were on def jam because that was russell's brother and i think for russell them got a lot of credit because they did manage running d for a while and i think russell and rick rubin The music that they were able to create, the stuff that Rick Rubin was able to create as a producer is still unmatched to this day. Russell's business acumen, learning on the fly. It's not like he's, you know, he's a graduate of Wharton School of Business, but it's just a streetwise dope, dope dude that was smart enough to see that Rick was doing something or going somewhere and made Def Jam Records. And and it is probably the most important hip-hop label ever because. Everybody else wanted to have a label because of Def Jam, you know. Tommy Boy put out a lot of dance records, electro funk records, sleeping bag. Everybody put out a lot of different kinds of music. Def Jam for a long time was strictly hip hop. Before they started dabbling into R and B, that that was just like the ultimate hip hop label, dude. I can't even tell you what year it was, but I remember when they gave me a Def Jam jacket. Like, they gave me a Def Jam jacket. That jacket was, that meant you was part of the club. If you had a Def Jam jacket with your name on it, oh, my God. Wow. So, Def Jam for us was everything, and especially from us from Queens, because it was Russell. He's from Hollis. He's from our hood. So, that's what made it even bigger. And my sister used to work at Def Jam at the front desk, and so it's all full circle, man. Def Jam meant everything to us. It was the premier hip hop label, the premier label, the best of the best were on Def Jam. Ashana is. I
4: think it's safe to say that Def Jam was at the forefront of disruptive marketing for sure. Um, things like street teams, things like you know merch, you know, brand, the Def Jam jacket was something that you know people would pay for back then massive billboards and just kind of over the top, like grassroots street marketing is the Def Jam way. And I definitely think it influenced how not just record companies, but how any brand who wanted to reach that hip hop community began to market after seeing the way Def Jam
3: marketed. Shaheen Reed,
7: music journalist they've empowered so many greats from our culture that have empowered other people and it's the gift that keeps on giving you know so many women that worked at Def Jam so many young people that worked at Def Jam and it's not just the music the music the music is fantastic you look at the Def Jam catalog and it's it's endless classics Young Jeezy you know it's endless classes but you gotta also look at the people and and what it meant like def jam meant us as young even though rick rubin was white right it just meant like us as young rebels doing what the we wanted to do and it wasn't reckless it it wasn't reckless These, these guys were successful it wasn't like oh we just gonna give these young kids let's see what these young kids do with tens of millions of dollars nah they, they, they pulled their money together they, they sold records and then when they started getting all of the millions of dollars they started doing like all of these other businesses of course Rick Rubin he stepped away from Def Jam and he started doing his own thing and then it was more like Russell Simmons Kevin Lyles, and Leo Cohen that was doing it then you know later Mike Kaiser and Julian and all of these people but this is a young, a young black kid from from Weeds, man, Russell. And he built the empire. Like this is this is the stuff that has influenced every executive in the game. They've all looked at Russell Simmons at a point. I don't care what I don't care who you are, black or white. Everybody that came up after Russell had to look at this man as being one of the blueprints. Russell Simmons.
2: We had offices all over the world. We have offices today. Now, my office gushed out. I was talking about we had 13, 11 countries. There's a Def Jam office in almost every one of those Asian countries. 11 of 10 of the, the countries are East Asian. We have two offices in America, but 10 of the 11 countries are in East Asia. There's a Def Jam office in every country, and hip-hop is prominent in every country. The biggest show in China is called The Rap of China. One show, first episode, a billion people going. There's only 300 million in America. So the impact of hip-hop globally uh deaf jam has been there as part of a setting the pace so it had a good impact you know it was alone when we were doing what we were doing internationally and it was kind of alone when we were doing in america for a very long time because we saw the artists as not disposable we saw them as as great artists with long-term possibilities and the labels saw them as 12-inch artists that would make a record and, you get the next record from somebody else. We built albums and careers. We managed uh, images. We took the people who made the music serious. And that's what made Rush Management special. And that's what made Def Jam special too. That same mentality. And LL is not here for this single, I Need a Beat, but for the album, Radio. And Run DMC was an album, not a record. was an artist that would be here for years. And so we had that, at least good luck, good fortune to see that crystal clear to me. But it was
3: at the time very uh, different thinking. Man, so many amazing memories, so much incredible work done, so many major doors broken down, kicked in, opened up wide to let us in, made by Def Jam. And one of the most important groups is Public Enemy, the impact, the voice that conscious hip hop hit so hard at a critical time. And I was honored to get to showcase that stuff on my show, YoMTV Raps. But it was amazing to have Rick Rubin tell me one day how Public Enemy, Rick had heard a little bit of a demo that they used on their college radio station. And Rick Rubin, for almost an entire year, called Chuck D relentlessly to try to get him to come in and make an album. And Chuck, who was probably about 21 at the time, felt like he was actually too old because LL had just hit and LL hit the game hard at 16, 17 years old. You know what I'm saying? But Rick's persistence with what Public Enemy became. And Chuck said, man, okay, give me this budget and step back and let us do our thing. And that's the story behind Public Enemy. Once again, impactful group and the message that they had, a lot of people would not have been ready to get down and to push a group like that with a message so strong and so clear. Once again, another tribute to what Def Jam did, thankfully, and Rick Rubin's just, you know, instincts and intuition to, like, let Public Enemy go and do what they did. (laughs) Fight the the power. On the next episode of the 50 Years of Hip Hop podcast series, the Sugar Hill Gang's Rap is Delight. At the first music video. But it wasn't until six years later when MTV Network's first show dedicated entirely to rap music hit the screen. <laughs> Y'all know what that is. This next episode is going to reminisce of the first rap video to make its way into MTV's rotation, Run DMC's Rockbox, and that was also back in 1984, and the journey of a show that launched as an experiment only to become a hit. And you know I'm talking about? Yo. This episode has been executive produced by Dolly S. Bishop, hosted and produced by your boy, Fab Five Freddy, produced by Aaron A. King Howard, edit, mix, sound by Dwayne Crawford, music scoring by Trey Jones, talent booking by Nicole Spence.
4: There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge.